Thank you for listening to the Resting Place Church podcast. Our dream is that your heart would find rest as we learn to practice the ways of Jesus faithfully. So we hope this message both blesses and encourages you. Go to Galatians 5 this morning. I'm going to wrap up our series today on joy. Um, hopefully, some of you have had some more joy in your life since I've started this series. And if not, I guess just go back and watch all the sermons again, because maybe you need some joy in your life. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read from Galatians 5. It says this, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit, listen to this part, and the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your own good intentions But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under the obligation to the law of Moses. Listen to this language here that Paul uses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results, everybody say the results. The results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. I want you to listen to this language. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against these, there is no law. There is no law. Those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. I'm going to say this again. Since we are living by the Spirit, Let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. I'm going to read a quote from uh, the first week. I actually read this quote. It's from a song, uh, Stephanie Gretzinger, I think. Yeah, whatever, however you say her last name. Get a better last name, change it. Golly, it's hard to pronounce. Isn't she married now? So can we just call her like her husband's name? Or is that is? That's, yeah, well, frizzle is easier to pronounce. We need to go back to that. But that's what like, that's what like famous people do, right? They, they, uh, they, they, they hyphenate or they keep their own last name. Yeah, it's better. Anyways, great worship leader. <laughs> she sings this in a song and I'm going to quote this. It says this. There's a line and we've crossed it. Some would say that we have lost it, but we have found our joy 
but we have found our joy and it's all in knowing you. But we have found our joy and it's all in knowing you. So Lord, this morning I thank you that we can actually really know you. That we don't just have to know about you. We don't have to hear things that maybe that would make us skeptical of you, like we can really, really know you. And that will produce joy within us. So Lord, do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Jake, man of God. You're good, man. Everybody give it up for Jake this morning. He is a man of God. I don't even have any commentary for Jake this morning. He's just a man of God. Um, so Paul talks about joy in lots of different ways, which if you read Paul, he's very confusing. He's very, he, normally, he's never really clear about anything. Um, meaning, if you read it at face value, and if you just read the Bible, and you're just reading it, Like, yeah, God's probably going to say something to you and your life is going to be transformed by that. But not unless I think you know what Paul was ultimately trying to communicate about joy in all of his writings. And so you can go and read everything that Paul wrote, and most of the time he's going to throw something in there about joy. But Paul is writing this letter to the church of well, the churches in Galatia. And he starts talking about joy. And he starts talking about all the fruits of the Spirit, really, but specifically focusing on joy. He talks about it as a result of something. He says, he says things like this. The Spirit produces these things. And then he, he contrasts it also with, with your sinful nature, your desire in your heart to not follow the leading of the Spirit. And he says, if, if you live your life that way, then that produces all of these sinful things. And what I think Paul is trying to ultimately communicate is, is that joy and anything to do with the fruits of the Spirit, but specifically joy, is not something that you are to aim at. Joy is not something for you to aim at. Jesus and living a life obedient to the Spirit of God is what we aim at. And then joy is produced from that. A lot of times I think we say things like this. I want peace. I want joy. I want whatever. And most of the time, if you aim at that, you'll never hit it. Because most of the time, those things, whatever characteristic of the spirit that you want to list off there those things are a result of something 
they are not the thing. They are a result of you knowing God. They are a result. They are a result of you living a life that is actually led by the Spirit of God. That you actually hear His voice on a regular basis and you lean into your relational connection with him. I love how Paul writes this. This is so, like, it's sneaky of Paul if you don't know what's going on, but it's, it's really cool. He lists off all the sinful things. And then he says, if you do all these things, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. And then he lists off the fruits of the Spirit. And he says this, against these things, there is no law. And I think it's so, so, so important that you understand that when you go from, in your walk with God, from living by standards of not participating in certain activity to being led by the Spirit of God, that's when the power of the law is broken off of your life, right? That's because what we'll say is, is it a sin to do X? If you're asking, probably. It probably is sinful. Is it a sin to do this, right? Yes, probably so. And then on top of that, what happens is, this is, this is what, this is what I, I, found, I find so, so interesting, especially in the church. Leaders in the church will even do things that are questionable, and then will say, well, that's not sinful. Of course it's not sinful. That doesn't mean it's what the Spirit wants for you. There is a big difference you, like, when you say, is it a sin to do or is it a sin not to do, you are, you are living by the law. When you say, is it a sin to drink or not to drink? Law. Is it a sin to do X, just fill in the blank, or not do X? That is the law. And as long as you live under that power and as long as you allow that to govern you and lead you and help you make your decisions, you will never have joy. Because you will always be worried about what standard or measurement that you're supposed to be living up to that you were never called to live up to. And this becomes deeply problematic for Christians in the South. <laughs> because the law is clear. The law is really clear. There's 16, let's see here, 16. I was going to try to quote all the laws that are certain types of laws to you, but I forgot them. <laughs> so I do know that there are 600 and 13 laws that you can actually go follow. And you're going to be like sacrificing doves and like, like out like rolling on the grass and like doing stuff to get your life right with God. 
Amelia says she already does that. It's okay. She, it's okay. Or, 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 you could just live your life in union and relationship with God. Like, imagine if you're a spouse in the room or if you've ever been in any sort of relationship in the room. You, you will, this will make so much sense to you. Imagine if the depth of your relationship was based off of do's and don'ts. Imagine if the depth of your relationship with your spouse and also with your children was just based off a list of do these things and don't do these things. Some of you are like, I thought it was. <laughs> Take out the trash, you know. Don't put your shoes there. Don't put the laundry there. That's what happens in that's what happens in my house. I see laundry as an area. Like it goes in a particular area. Anna's area that the laundry goes in is just smaller than mine and it's a basket <laughs> and mine goes like near the basket <laughs> but could you imagine how little joy that you would have in your relationships if they were just do's and don'ts you, you would not have covenant commitment. You would have contractual commitment. Because when they didn't do the things that they were supposed to do, then you have a way out. But in covenant, there is no way out. There is no way out of covenant. And specifically, there is no way out of covenant with God. Because you didn't make a covenant with God. God made a covenant with you. And you can't break covenant with God because you didn't make that covenant. And he made a covenant with you and didn't ask your opinion about it. He said, I'm going to love you and there's nothing you can do about it. Well, what if... What if what if all of those people reject my love? It doesn't matter if you reject the love. That's not the covenant. The covenant of God is not that God loves those who love him. The covenant of God is God loves everyone. And those who love him have the benefits of the relationship with God. That's what they have. Everyone, like the love of God is an even playing field for everyone. Fruits of the Spirit are not, though. Joy is not. God loving you will never change. But you being open to letting Him love you determines if the work in you gets done or not that needs to be done to bring about change in your heart. Right? So, if we want joy, it's on the other side of saying yes to a relationship with God. It's not an aim for us. 
But what does a relationship with God look like? What if I just told you I would be a terrible pastor if I did this? What if I was just told you, like, you need a relationship with God? Jake, come on up, get on the keys, and I just sent you out. Because I think it's I think it's fair to say, it's not, yeah, it is fair to say. I think it's fair to say that our generation probably has more questions about what a relationship with God actually means. Like, because a lot of the people who say they have a relationship with God don't look anything like Him. So then we like, that becomes problematic for us. So one of the things that I think this church is specifically supposed to do is to change the narrative of what people who say they have a relationship with God look like. Like, we were actually having this conversation this morning. We don't have bumper stickers in our church because we're not completely sanctified yet. <laughs> David was talking about his things that he does in traffic. And it's like, good God, we can never let anybody know that you go to church here. I'm totally joking, David. <laughs> joking, David. Heck, I have that problem sometimes. Like, <laughs> But it's not, it's not when... It's not when someone makes a mistake in traffic. It's when people act like they have never made a driving mistake. And then they're like blowing their horn at you. And I'm like, dude, I've been training jujitsu for three and a half years. You can get out of that car and keep your weapons in there. But you can get out of that car. And we can settle this right now and nobody will ever have to know. <laughs> you won't be blowing that horn anymore. I won't put you in an arm bar. You won't be able to do that. But what does a relationship with God look like? What, and this is like such a like, I almost, I'm probably going to preach this at a camp because I've been given the, you know, like at youth camps, the, the people who speak there, they have like roles Somehow I ended up with, your role is to get everyone at this camp saved. And I was like, thanks a lot. No pressure. I was like, they told me that. I was like, geez, okay, all right, well, thanks. And I'm probably going to preach this, and I probably won't ever get invited to preach at this camp again. But what does it mean to actually have a relationship with God? I think most of us started our relationship with God backwards. We started with loving God. And your relationship with God every single time. Actually, I would say that you may not even have a relationship with God if your relationship with God started with a revelation of how much that you love God. Your relationship with God always has to start with his love for you. You can not, you can not 
live your life as a Christian and live submitted to the Holy Spirit if the only thing that you have is how much you love God? It will never work. You will be so frustrated with yourself because what you'll do is, is you will, you'll actually start, you, you will live, you will put yourself under the law. And what you'll think is, is that your love, from, your love for God is going to make you reject the nature in you that wants to, and the desires in you that want to be sinful. You will think that your love for God is going to keep that commitment. And what you are going to find out is, is that it won't. You will continue in all of that sinful behavior, even if you're the most disciplined person in the world. You will continue in all of that same behavior until you understand the love of God for you. You absolutely, absolutely, you cannot build your life on how well that you love God. There's going to be times that you honestly, if you're honest with yourself, you probably don't. And you have questions, and especially when tragedy strikes. Like your conversations with God look a little different when tragedy strikes. And some would say that those words that you use towards God aren't exactly loving. If you've never used those words that I'm talking about towards God, you should try prayer out sometime. <laughs> You have to start. If it, what does it mean to have this union and relationship with God that leads, to do, that leads to joy? It means you start with this revelation of how much God loves you. This is what, what Hebrews says. Hebrews says this. The cross was the joy set before Jesus. The cross was the joy set before Jesus, and he endured that. What is the writer of Hebrews trying to tell us? That Jesus even finds joy in being in relationship with you. Relationship, you being in relationship with God, even makes him joyful. So I want you to think about this, especially if you're like a parent in the room. If you had a child, or if you have a child, who your relationship with was severed or broken, there's nothing that you would not do if you're a good parent to make sure that that relationship was repaired. And when that relationship was repaired... I don't know of any other way to describe it, but you would be full of joy. This is exactly what Jesus was doing on the cross. This is exactly what he was doing. You, in your mind, believed that you had a relationship with God 
that you, you really couldn't even engage with. Humanity believed that we could not engage with God in any sort of way because of lies that we believed about God. And when Jesus endured the cross and he fulfilled the law, all that did was bring us back into right relationship with Jesus. And that's why the cross was the joy set before him. It wasn't because that Jesus got to go to heaven. Jesus was always in heaven (laughs) and on earth simultaneously at the same time. It wasn't that Jesus was like, now I get to take my throne back. (laughs) I've never not existed, and I'm eternal, and I'm the beginning and the end. But these 33 years away from my throne is a long time. Got to go get it back. It's not like he was saying that. What brought Jesus joy was being in relationship with us. What will bring you joy is being aware of just how deeply in relationship you actually are with him. There is, a, there is something very mystical, and that's not like a word that we should shy away from in church. It is a word that we have shied away from in church. But literally, I don't know how to say this, but everything that we believe in our faith that is good about God was handed to us by a group of people that lived in the desert that they called mystics. There's something mystical about our faith. There's something mystical about our union with Jesus in the fact that we are never really aware of how intertwined we actually are with God. You can fight to be more aware of that as hard as you want. And through my experience, when you try to grasp for understanding in that way so that you can just understand more, it always leads to something dumb most of the time. You believing something that's not true about God. When you take the risk of relationship where there is no law, there's just love, that is how you are made aware of just how intertwined you actually are with God. And I believe as you grow in that revelation with God, that's where joy comes from. It's not like, there's a, I made reference to this, there's this old, it's not an old saying, fairly new saying in a particular church culture. And they like hand you a packet and they're like, go plant a church and do all these things. And one of their values is, we choose joy. We choose joy. Now, me being kind and gracious and giving them the benefit of the doubt, what they are trying to say is, when you show up to serve, we want you to have a good attitude. (laughs) That's what they're trying to say. Because you cannot choose something that the Spirit is responsible for producing in your life. You can't choose that. 
you have to choose the Spirit and then let Him take care of all of that stuff. And so if you want to grow in your relationship with God, you have to start with the love of God for you first. First and foremost, the love of God for you. The cross, you, being, God being in relationship with you, you being in relationship with him and being made aware of that was the joy set before him, and that's why he endured the cross. Right? The second thing is, if you want to have joy in your life, you have to take that level of relationship personally. Like, it matters. Like, I know this is like crazy that I'm even have to like say this. Your relationship with God matters. How you see God matters. You you having a prayer life matters. You reading the Bible matters. And it's not to check off a box, man. Like if we could if if this was as simple as checking off boxes, I would be a pro at this. There's nothing that makes me happier than making a to-do list and checking it off. If this was all about checking boxes, this would be so easy. You know, even... This just goes to show you how we are in our humanity. But the law was box checking. Do this, don't do this. And Paul says this, the writer of this says this, I was perfect according to the law. And I still killed Christians. But according to the law, I was perfect. I was totally justified. And then he's like, but... What I believed about God was wrong. <laughs> That's essentially what he said and what he is saying. And so, in that, you have to take this personal. This is personal to God. You are, it, your relationship on God's side is taken personally, literally. God became a person to make this personal between you and him. Because the law does not allow you to make this personal. And what Jesus was doing is, as he was saying, yeah, you can have all of the law that you want, but who God is, is not revealed in the law. It's revealed in Jesus. And what God wants you to know is that this is personal to Him. You, God, is madly in love with you. You matter to God and to others. And it is so, so, so important that you understand that. Because a lot of times we do not take our walks with God and our relationships with God serious because we just refuse to take it personal. 
And you can have lived in church your whole life. And listen, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say this. The people who grew up in church are the worst about this. Because we grew up following codes that we thought made us right with God. And so when it becomes personal, we have a hard time letting it just be that. And so I want you to think about this. If this is personal, there is a, there is, there's two sides to this story. God's side, your side. Right? This is personal. God will not get to know you relationally unless you let your guard down for him to do that. Now, God will act in his goodness on your behalf, whether you ask him to or not. But he will not force you to make this personal. It'll always be personal to him. It does not have to be personal to you. And then one day you'll wake up and be like, oh, wow. This is personal to God. And you'll be awakened to the reality of God's love for you and his commitment to keeping this personal. And then from that place, joy will spring up out of your soul. So if you want to if you if you want to really know what it's like to to know God, you got to start with his love for you. You got to take this personal. And then after you have this revelation that God actually actually is serious about this, you have to deal with all of the things that you think about God that are wrong. Our grasp at this, like what my generation called this, and not all of this has been good. I think some of it has. Our, our grasp at this is just called deconstruction. That's all it's called. All of it has not been good, and I don't have to, like, explain myself if you just look like... I don't, like, it's like, well, how do you know it's not been good? It's like, well, <laughs> they're not doing too good. <laughs> it's how, but you have to deal with all of the lies that you believe about God. This is the reason why we do not take this personal. is because we do not believe that God is as good as he really is. In some ways, there are parts of us that are still afraid of God, that, that, are, that are still afraid of God. There are parts of us that still believe that God has a multi-personality disorder. That he's nice when he's Jesus, and he's not nice when he's the Father. And what Jesus is saying in coming to the earth. This is, I'm going to read you a scripture. This is the message. This is 1 John 1, 5. This is the message we heard from Jesus. 
So Jesus came preaching a particular message about God. What was that message? God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. The message that Jesus preached was that all of you who think God, he's talking to the Pharisees because that's who he dealt with mostly, all of you who think God is one way, and then I am Jesus, and I'm another way, no, you're wrong. He literally says, I don't, I don't know how to explain this any plainer. He literally says, Moses and Elijah, what they said about me was wrong. They loved me and they loved God, but they loved the God that we, they knew. And if Moses and Elijah, this is going to give you some food for thought here, would have got the revelation of God right, Jesus would not have needed to come. And so, when we think about this, what was the message of Jesus? In God, there is light and there is no darkness at all. Everything that you believe about God if there is a duality in your belief system about God, you have to figure out how to get rid of it because he is nothing but good. There is no, there is no there, God does not have sides, by the way. The Bible says there is no shadow in his turning. God does not have sides. There isn't a side to God that is love and another side that's like, I'm going to wear you out with a belt when you get home. I had a Baptist friend, he used to say it like this. You're going to laugh at this because you're going to. He used to say this. He's like, God's been striping my legs. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> like with a switch, like God's going to get the switch. <laughs> I'm like, dang, <laughs> not mine. <laughs> it's okay. They meant really well. The problem that we face, the number one problem that we face in making ourselves vulnerable to God is that we do not believe that he can handle our vulnerability. We think that he is going to be afraid of particular things in our hearts. Could you imagine, like, this is, this is exactly what happened with Peter. This is exactly what happened with Peter. Peter was afraid of what Jesus was going to do to him after he denied him. And what does the scripture say? Peter followed Jesus at a distance. Why? Because he was afraid to get close enough to him to show him that he was really hurting. Because he still believed things about God that were not true. So he followed Jesus at a distance. And if you believe things about God that are not true, you will also follow Jesus at a distance. 
you will also be kind of with him, but not really with him. You will all, you will all, you, you'll probably always come to church. You'll probably always go to community group. You'll probably always give. You'll probably always do the stuff, but you will never experience the joy of actually knowing Jesus. You will never experience the joy of letting him do the work in you. And you showing up to him and presenting all of your flaws. And I do mean all of them. And him being like, man, I'm so glad you're here. Like, could you imagine? Like, Beckham does this pretty often. Beckham will come to me with a problem. And... I solve the problem most of the time, like, pretty quickly. But most of the time, most of the time, the way that I solve the problem is not up to his standards. But he doesn't know how to communicate that yet. This is the way that he has started telling me, so I had shoulder surgery. And a lot of times, like if I have something in my hand, I can't pick Beckham up. And so he'll just point at my good shoulder. He's like, I want that one. <laughs> pick me up with that one. Thanks, buddy. But could you imagine if when Beckham brings problems to me, if I gave him lectures on coming to me with a problem, That's exactly how we think God treats us. That we take our problems to, to God and he gives us a lecture about us having problems as if he was unaware of them anyway. And then we, we think that God's like that so we do not ever get vulnerable with him. We do not ever actually get real with God. Like, we never actually say the real stuff to God. We always say the church version. We'll always go to God and be like, I'm struggling. God, I'm really struggling, like, right now. And he's probably like, with what? What are you struggling with? I'm here to fix this. But you have to be vulnerable enough with me. Even God fixing problems in your life, most of the time is not about the problem getting fixed. It's about you exposing yourself to God in that way. Have you ever felt like that you had a problem that you took to God like 800 times and it still isn't dealt with? Everybody shake your head yes. He enjoys the fact that you're just showing up. He probably doesn't even really care that much about the issue that you're dealing with if it's one of those little petty issues that we have. Now, if it's harmful to you, of course he cares. But if you're like complaining about like basic stuff, he's just glad you came to prayer today. 
And you get like real vulnerable with God and he starts to tell you things like, get over yourself. <laughs> and it's like, dang. Like one time, this just actually recently happened. I was like pretty frustrated with a situation and I was like praying about it. And I like heard the Holy Spirit say, why do you care so much about this? He's like, because I don't. And I was like, dang. Got me again. <laughs> hey, God, I'm just glad to be here in prayer. And it was something kind of petty, right? It's not like you're actually praying for real things that like people are like suffering, like God cares about suffering. But like... God does not care that they got your Starbucks wrong order. Wrong. They do not care. He doesn't. Blake's like, mm, he might. <laughs> Depends on how bad of a day you're having. <laughs> if you're having a really bad day, they need to get it right. But you have to deal with all of these lies that you believe about God that keeps you from going to him and actually being vulnerable. You know, that's like... I'm trying not to be hypercritical because I just told y'all like, hey, criticism steals your joy <laughs> like three weeks ago. <laughs> I'm trying not to be hypercritical. But, but one of the, one of the what a rebuke that I would have to the church is that we train people for ministry really well. We can teach you how to sing. We can teach you how to lead worship. We can teach you how to preach. We can teach you how to like go to whatever conference that's going to be next month and this month and teach you how to do all of these things that are going to help our church do whatever. But we rarely ever talk to you about really being vulnerable with God. We rarely ever teach you the stuff that actually you need to know. I remember like I was with some church leaders recently and they were like, tell me what your staff is required to do. And I was like, let me text them <laughs> real quick. What do y'all do all the time? Because the staff of this church's main job is to be present with Jesus and to be present to you. Like getting a bunch of tasks done is always second in my mind. Now they have tasks to do. <laughs> they do have tasks. But it's always second. And I think that if we will even maybe take that approach to our own lives, like not just ministry, that everything going on around me is, is second. And my number one priority is be attentive to this relationship that I have with Jesus. I think, I think that we will find our joy in knowing him. The last thing is this. You have to surrender every single part of your life. And when I mean surrender, let me, let me use this language. Surrender is a little, you have to submit every part of your life. It's a little bit stronger of a word. You have to submit every part of your life unto the Lord. All desires 
have to be submitted unto Jesus. One of the reasons why I think that our flesh and desires and passions actually never get dealt with is because we try to deal with them. Like we never actually take them to the cross of Jesus and like lay them there. And here's the tricky thing. Here's the tricky thing about a life with the Spirit. Here's the tricky thing about crucifixion. Most of the time, when you take your issues to Jesus, it is never an instant fix. It's never an instant fix. The win is you took that problem in your heart to God. You exposed yourself that deeply relationally. Why don't you let him worry about the crucifixion part of it? This is, I was telling someone about this when dealing with sin. Dealing with sin is important. Like you need to take the things in your heart that make you a worse person and that harm you and other people and submit them to Jesus. Like you need to do that on the regular. But once it's submitted, stop touching it. Let God do his thing. I love the language that Paul, use, Paul uses. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. And then I love what he says in Galatians. He says, all of my passions and desires, I take them to the cross and I, I, I crucify them there. Our problem is when dealing with sin, if, you didn't, if you've never heard anything that I've ever said about dealing with sin in your life, if you've never heard anything, you need to hear this. Crucifixion is not an instant death. When they crucified Jesus, he hung up there for a while. There is a bit of this that you need to understand that Jesus, in the same way that he made a public display of the principalities and the powers, what Colossians 1 says, when he died on the cross, he made a public display of them saying, love one. There is a, your sin needs to hang up there on that cross for a while so that it can know love wins. Like even if this is still here, and even when it does not look like that love is winning, it does. My God's love for me wins every time. There is nothing that you can do to convince God anything else about you. There is nothing you can do to convince God that he should believe anything about you other than you are his and he deeply loves you. There's nothing you can do. And this, and I really feel this like all of a sudden, this absolutely has zero to do with circumstances. 
if you gauge the love of God off of what you are currently walking through, you will always be measuring it the wrong way. You'll always measure it. You will always give it an unfair measurement. I want you to stand with me this morning. So if you want to have joy, if you want to be able to say, I've got joy, if you want to be able to say that, we have to surrender to this real knowing of Jesus. I'm going to pray for us this morning. And I want you to do whatever you need to do in this room. There's going to be a couple people that maybe come forward to uh, pray with you if you need prayer at all. But I'm going to pray for us as a whole this morning that we would have a grace to live in a relational connection with God, not one that's based off rules. And I want you to do what you need to do. And so like, I will not come back up here to dismiss us because I know that some of y'all stare at me like, what is he doing? Will you come tell us what to do? I'm telling you right now. I'm not coming back up here to dismiss us, so do not stay. I'm actually going to walk out that door, so I won't even be in here. So you don't look at me when I walk out the door. But I want you to take a moment, and I want you to think through these, and I want you to let the Spirit do whatever He wants to do in your heart. Do you need to start completely over in God's love for you? Maybe you need to have a moment where you're like, no, this is personal. This is deeply personal. Maybe you need to think. Maybe you need to pray this prayer. God, what lie do I believe about you that keeps me from being vulnerable with you? And then maybe after that, you say, Lord, what, what part of me do you want me to submit? What part of me do you want me to surrender? And so I'm going to pray for us, and they're going to go into this song and I want you to have that time with the Lord in whatever way that needs to look like. And then if you don't need to have any of that time, you're free to go. But I want to pray for us this morning. So if you would, just bow your head all over the room and just focus your eyes on Jesus in this moment. So Lord, we just thank you this morning. We thank you for your presence. We are thankful that we can be in your presence and you can deal with us kindly. You can deal with us graciously. Lord, this morning, we just want the joy of knowing you. We want the joy of knowing you. Joy's not our aim. It's not our goal. It's not our attention. You are our aim. You are our goal. You are our reward. You are our everything. And when we find you, we find all the joy in the world that we could ever possibly need. So this morning, Lord, I pray that you would stir in us a hunger to know you a hunger to know you, a hunger to sense when you're doing a work in us. And Lord, today I pray that you would do whatever you want to do in us. In Jesus' name, amen.